All right, I want to welcome everybody here this morning. And if you'll do me a quick favor as we get started, we got a lot of study guides floating around the room. And if you don't have one, I got some extras up here. Just throw up a quick hand and I'll get somebody in the front to help me get them to the back. Uh, Just keep your hands up and we'll get them to you real fast. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is we're going, to, we're going to study through a familiar story in Scripture. This is going to be the story about Jesus washing the feet of His disciples. Okay? And I want to lay the cards down on the table at the very beginning. And I want to tell you my aim uh, in giving you this teaching during this time. And here's my aim. My aim is that God would use this text of Scripture... To do exactly what God designed this text of Scripture to do. Uh, that, that would be our aim. We are gathered together as the people of God around the Word of God. And we want to be transformed. We want God to speak to us today. And so we want God to do in our hearts and in this church exactly what He designed this passage of Scripture to do. And here's what it's supposed to do. We want to leave this place confronted by these words. Challenged by These words and these words are intended to produce humble hearts and disciples of Jesus that pour themselves out and sacrificial love for the body of Christ. So that's where we're headed this morning. We need God's help. We need God's help to take us way past information and that the Holy Spirit of God would pierce our hearts with the word, would encourage us with the things of Christ. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. And and we worship you, Lord Jesus. We magnify, even in this moment, Lord, we magnify your sovereign authority that there is none like you, Lord. Even exalted, created angels, God, they bow down in your presence and they cover themselves from your glorious majesty. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with your glory, Lord. And we worship you today, Lord Jesus. You are a mighty, majestic God. You are the king over all that you have made. And we worship you, Lord, because we belong to you, God. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And we come to you today as your church and we come and we ask for mercy from you, Lord Jesus. Be merciful to us sinners. And we pray, God, that that you would humble us today, Lord, that you would do just what Ron prayed earlier, God, that you would confront all, all the layers of pride in us from your word, Lord. Confront us, God. Pierce us with your word and do it by showing us how glorious you are, Lord Jesus. We worship you today that you are able to humble the proud. There is none on planet earth that is safe from your hand. Your arm is not too short to save, Lord. You took King Nebuchadnezzar, the the mightiest man in in the entire world, God, and you humbled that man to the point, Lord, to where he he lifted up his, his head, God, and he worshiped you as the highest of the kings of the earth. Lord, you are able to humble us. You are able to make us like you. And that's what we long for, Lord Jesus. We long to be like you. We long to be like you, Lord. Come meet with us today, we pray. God, give me a mouth to speak your word and give us ears to hear your truth. All across this room this morning, come meet with us, Lord. Come feed us, Lord, with words from your mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. All right, we're going to start our time together this morning in John chapter 13. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to read this passage and we're going to go uh, verse 1 all the way through verse 17. And if you have a Bible, this is this is very important. Okay, these are the most important words you're going to hear in the next hour. These are the words from God. Truth, no error. These are hot breath from the mouth of the Holy God. And we get to read them. We are sinners and we get to hear God personally address us in these words. And so I want everybody with a Bible, I want your eyes on this text. And we're going to read it together. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that... His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of God. This is our text this morning. Everything that you're about to hear me say is supposed to be filtered through the words that we just read. So the sermon and the teaching that you're about to hear, it must conform. If it's faithful, if it's from God, it must conform to these words. And so we want to ask the Lord to teach us this passage of Scripture. We want to learn from Jesus today. And so I want us to start. I want us to to dig into the context and some of the background of this story. This is a very familiar story. But I guarantee you there are some details here that, that many of you in this room had never lingered over. And there is, there is depths and riches untold in the Word of God. And none of us know this story too well. None of us. 
God can feed us, give us something for our soul from this text. And this is what we're praying that He would do all across this room. Verse 1, this is the context. In verse 1, it is just before the feast of Passover. And that's that Jewish feast that's going to mark the death of Jesus. He's going to die at Passover. And so we're just a few hours really before Jesus will give His life and depart out of this world. Okay? And so I want you to see it in that way. Jesus is about to leave planet Earth. And when He leaves, He's going to leave behind some representatives. These men, His disciples, these apostles, they're going to be left behind to represent Jesus once Jesus is gone. Okay? It is absolutely critical that these men represent Jesus rightly. And it's still critical that after Jesus departs, that His disciples rep- represent Him rightly. Listen why. Listen why. Look at, look at verse 20, later in John chapter 13. Why is it critical that the disciples represent Jesus rightly? Listen to, listen to what He says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, the one who sent me. So here's what Jesus is teaching us. After he is gone, after he has died and resurrected and ascended to heaven. After that happens, to reject a messenger of Jesus is to reject Jesus. To reject a messenger of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus is to reject Jesus. So it is absolutely critical that these men are a faithful representation of the Christ that they are going to proclaim to the world. Absolutely critical. And what he's teaching us in this passage is that only humble servants, only humble servants represent Jesus Christ rightly to this world. These disciples still needed to learn this lesson. Jesus did not do this for no reason. He did it for a reason. They needed this lesson. They needed to learn this lesson. Look at verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He didn't say that for no reason. He said that for a reason. He rebuked them with that, with that text for a reason. They needed to hear these things from Christ. And, and if you know anything about the Gospels, you know this is not the first time that these men have been confronted about pride and arrogance, is it? They have been confronted. Jesus has already interrupted multiple conversations between these disciples. Talking, what was the topic of the conversation? Who is the greatest among us? And Jesus walks in and he says, what are y'all talking about? What are y'all talking about? And he rebukes them for these conversations that are rooted in pride and arrogance. And this is what he must teach these men before he departs out of this world and they represent him to the ends of the earth. He must teach them humility. And what he's done, he's already rebuked them and he's already taught them about humility. But what he does here is he takes it a step further than teaching and he gives them a, 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 an illustration of what humility looks like that would have shocked these men to the core of their being. This, would have, this, this devastated them. And when we understand what happened in this story rightly, this is a devastating story of, of the humility of the Son of God, the condescension of the Son of God, of the depths that Jesus Christ has stooped to serve us sinful humanity. It is a devastating illustration of humility. 
And Jesus intends for these disciples to learn this lesson. Okay? Now, I want to spend some time for a second talking about foot washing. Foot washing in this ancient culture, it was a very common practice. It's not a, it's, it's an odd thing to us, okay? But it was not an odd thing to them, okay? And we're going to talk about this for a second. It was fairly normal for most people in this culture to wash themselves daily, to wash their body, okay? And that's still a really good idea, right? There, there's some things that, you know, you don't necessarily have to change everything, so that's probably still a good idea, and they did that. Not, not necessarily immersing themselves, but some form of daily scrubbing of the body. Most people did that in this culture. Daily cleansing, okay? Then they would strap on their sandals and, and, and walk out the door and, and head out for their daily business. And they go to work, go to the fields, go to the market, whatever they had to do, okay? And they would, they would walk outside and, and get about their task. And what they would do, uh, this doesn't take a lot of imagination to visualize this here, okay? Hot, hot climate, nasty, dusty roads, and open-toed sandals with sweaty feet. All that put in a blender together, and you got some nasty, stinky feet, right? <laughs> nasty, stinky feet, all right? This was a common thing in this culture. So, in this culture, it was part of showing hospitality to your guest of when, of when somebody would come into your home. The, the leader of the home, the, the, especially in rich houses, the master of the house would make arrangements for the people and the guests that were entering his house to have their feet washed. This is a common practice in this culture. Usually... This foot washing was, was reserved for the lowest of, of servants and, it, and mainly Gentile slaves in Jewish houses. This was lowly, lowly, lowly work to wash people's feet. In Israel at this time, it was basically illegal for a Jewish man to require his Jewish slave to wash someone's feet. It was considered beneath a Jew to, to require them to do this. This is lowly, lowly, lowly servant work. Okay? And what I want you to know about this, this culture is almost certainly, almost certainly, this was not the first time that these disciples' feet had been washed in their life. Okay? They're, most likely their feet had been washed many, many times before. This is part of the culture. Okay? So, therefore, I want us to zone in of what this, what does this passage tell us about Jesus? Not necessarily what this passage tells us about foot washing, but what does this text tell us about Jesus Christ? Okay? Because what makes this a devastating story of humility is not that somebody's feet got washed. Okay? That was fairly common in this culture. What makes this absolutely devastating to the core is who washed their feet. The identity of the foot washer. And that's what I want us to see in this text. Who is Jesus Christ? First three verses. Listen close. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Here we go. Jesus, 
knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand and that He had come from God and was going back to God. So that text just told us some things about the Christ that is about to wash the feet of these disciples. And the first thing it tells us in verse 1 is it tells us that the Christ that's about to wash these feet is a Christ that has resolved to love His own to the very end. Do you know this about the Christ of Scripture? Do you know this about His nature? That He loves His own, the ones that belong to Him, He loves to the very end, from the beginning to the end. That's His nature. This is the limitless love of Jesus Christ. His infinite love for His own. It is to the very end of love's limits. He loves His own to the very end. He doesn't forsake His own. He loves them to the end. This is the love of the Christ that we serve. And I've prayed these specific verses for you this morning. That God would open your eyes to the love of Jesus Christ today. Not that you would know about it factually, but that you would see it for you personally. That this, would be, that this would be a personal demonstration of the love of Jesus for you. For you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 18 and 19. This is what we pray. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And what you're about to see in the story is you're about to see the love of Jesus poured out on His own. And I want that to be a reminder to every one of us that, that, that serve Him, that follow Him, that belong to Him. This is us in this story. He's doing it to them, but through them. This is, this is Him serving us in this story. So I want you to see Jesus loving you. I want you to see His perfect love for you. And in order to see this rightly, I want you to zone in on verse 3. Verse 3. Verse 3 tells us something glorious about Jesus Christ. It tells us that He has perfect knowledge. Do you know that? The Christ of Scripture knows all things. He has perfect knowledge. But John zones in on, on two things. And, and he tells us that at this moment, just prior to Jesus washing these feet, He has perfect knowledge of two things. And I want you to see them. Verse 3. Jesus knows at this moment that all things are delivered into His hand. Is that not a beautiful statement in the Word of God? That He is fully aware that all things, nothing is outside of that. All things have been delivered into His hand. And what we see in this text is that Jesus is fully conscious of His own sovereignty. He knows that He is the sovereign Lord over all that He has made. All that He has made. Every planet in the solar system, every cell in your body, everything in all of His creation, He is Lord over it. It's delivered into His hand and He knows it. He knows it. And then the second thing that that verse tells us that Jesus knows is that He knows at this moment that He came from God... And that he was going back to God. He knew that he was God. He knew that he came from eternity with the Father. And he knew that he was headed back to eternity with the Father. He is fully conscious of his own deity. 
of His own glory. He is fully conscious of His own eternality. He knows that He is the eternal God made flesh. He is fully conscious of this. He knew that He was God. He knew He had absolute total control of every detail in this entire universe. And this passage reminds us that the Christ of Scripture, He is the eternal, sovereign Lord over all that He has made. Not a little bitty history channel Jesus. The cosmic Christ that rules all things. This is who the Jesus of Scripture is. He is Lord, sovereign, eternal. And He knew it. All things were delivered into His hand. And then you think about this. You think about this. In that moment, all Power, all authority in all of the universe is in the hand of this Christ. And what do you think his very next move is going to be? What if all power were, was delivered into your hand? Everything delivered into your hand. What do you think that he's about to do? We just read about a murder plot in verse 2. That Satan, the enemy of God, has put a murder plot in place and, 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 and his betrayer Judas is already in process of enacting this murder plot. And the one with all authority, the sovereign over all that he has made. Would you not expect him in this moment to cast Satan into the lake that burns forever and ever and pour out the wrath of God on this betrayer named Judas? He had all things in his hand. He could have done that. He had all things at his disposal. And he could have done that. But I want us to see. What does the word of God say? That his very next move is. After full conscience of his own sovereignty. Oh Lord help us to see this. Verse 4. He. Listen to the, the verbs in these verses. He. What did he do? The sovereign Lord. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel. Tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin. And began to wash the disciples feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Absolutely mind blowing. The Lord of the universe is serving like a slave. Like a slave. He has perfect knowledge of who he is. And then I want you to see this. He has perfect knowledge of the feet that he's washing. You say, what do you mean? We are just a few hours away. And Jesus knew that in just a few hours, every single one of these disciples were about to betray him and turn their back on him and deny him. And he knew that. And what does he do? This perfect knowledge. He, the creator of the ends of the earth. The eternal sovereign God. Bows down and washes the feet of his sinful creatures. Is that mind blowing to you? He inhabits eternity. Comes to this earth. And serves us like a slave. This is a mind blowing humility. The condescension of Jesus Christ. He comes from the highest of places. And he stoops and serves us in the lowest of ways. This is devastating, devastating glimpse when you see how high he is and how low he stoops. That gap that he crosses, that's called the condescension of Christ. Him stooping down in grace and mercy. What's he doing? What's he doing for us? He is loving us to the end. 
He is loving us to the end. He is loving His weak disciples to the very end. And He is washing the feet of the ones who are weak. The ones who will deny Him in just a few hours. I want you to see this. This is the Lord of the universe. And He's clothed not in, in kingly garments. Train of His robes not filling the temple right now. He's wrapped in the towel of a servant. And He's doing the work of a slave. This is the snapshot that we get of Jesus in this passage. It is mind-boggling. It is devastating. But here's where we want to go. But what does it mean? What does that mean? He crosses that infinite gap between holy God and sinful man. And what does it mean? What does this story mean? And that is not an easy question to answer. Okay, I want to be open with you on the front end. And I want God to help us. I want God to help us. It is not an easy question to answer. Because there are two layers of meaning to what Jesus did. Okay, Two layers of meaning to what Jesus did. There is a surface level meaning. And then there is a layer of meaning that lies below the surface. I'll give you an example of this in the Word of God. The cross of Jesus Christ. What does it mean? Well, on one, one level, it's, it's a picture of an example that we should all follow. Jesus commanded us that we should take up our cross and follow Him. We're supposed to do like Him. We're supposed to die to self and follow Him. And so in one sense, the cross is a moral example. But in another sense, it's not at all. Okay? In another sense, it's the sinless Son of God dying as a substitute, bearing the wrath of God in our place for our sins. Do you see this? You see the layers of meaning in the Word of God. This is what I want us to press into today. On the surface, this is a moral lesson and humble service. But there is also a symbolic meaning <coughs> under the surface. And I want us to look at that first, because that's exactly what the passage goes into. I want you to pay close attention to verses 6 through 11. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has been bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who he was to betray him. He knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, we're about to press into a symbolic meaning of Scripture. And you should never do this unless Scripture tells you to do this. You should never do this with the text of Scripture unless Scripture tells you to do this. So the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to show you of why this passage demands something more than a literal washing and a literal cleansing and a moral example. Okay, That's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to build a case for why should we treat this passage in this way. And I want you to look in verse 7. In verse 7, Jesus tells us that what He just did... The Lord of the universe washing the feet of sinful man. In verse 7, he tells us that the true, true understanding, the true knowledge, the true interpretation of what he did, that it, that it was reserved for the future. Look at what he says in verse 7. What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. 
Now, that's a strange thing. It's a strange thing if the only thing that we're supposed to know from that story is Jesus did it and we should do it. It's a strange thing to say, you're not going to understand this now, but afterward. It seems pretty simple on the surface. If that's all we're supposed to get, it seems pretty simple on the surface. So the question is, why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus tell his disciples, you're not going to understand this till later? Then look, in uh, verse 11 and verse 8, Jesus gives us two separate statements. In verse 11 and verse 8, that show that a spiritual washing is in view past this literal washing of feet. I'm asking the Lord to help us, to, for me to explain it, for us to see this. There's something in view past literal washing dirt off the feet. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, Jesus says that there is one there that isn't clean. There is one there that isn't clean. You got two options here. Okay. If all this means is literally washing and literally clean, then Jesus gets up after he washes the feet of the twelve and he said, we know that he washed all their feet. Okay. And so if this is all that's in view, then Jesus gets up and says, I just washed all your feet, but there's one that I didn't get all the dirt off of. Okay. There's one that I couldn't scrub all the dirt off of Judas's feet. Okay. I don't think anybody in here would think that that's what he's saying. He is pronouncing Judas not physically dirty. He is pronouncing him spiritually unclean. Spiritually unclean. There's something below the surface. There's something below the surface here. Then look at verse 8. Jesus tells Peter in verse 8, If I don't wash you, you have no share in me. You have no share in me. That is salvation language. That is language that says, Jesus says, if I don't do this, you are damned into eternity. You are not saved if I don't do this. Now, that's another strange comment. If all that's in view here is a literal washing of feet. Okay. If Ryan wants to teach me a lesson about humility and washes someone's feet and turns to me and says, now you do the same thing. He doesn't say, if you don't do this, you're damned forever. Okay. Does that make sense? There's something more at view here. If, if Peter does not receive something, he is damned forever. And what we see here is that there is something past this, this literal washing that Jesus is offering to Peter. Okay? If Peter rejects the literal, he rejects what the literal points to. This symbolic washing. This symbolic cleanness. Okay? So this is what's in view here. Symbolism of cleanness and washing below the surface. None of the statements that I just read to you make any sense unless that's true. So that's the burden that we have, right? The burden is that we have to understand the Word of God. And it makes no sense unless you press below the surface in these comments. So there's something at play, some type of symbolic washing, symbolic cleanness. And then the next question is, but what is it? What is it? The reason they had to wait for the true understanding to hit them is that they can't truly understand what just happened apart from the cross. The deepest meaning, the deepest level of, of, of teaching here, the true understanding doesn't happen until after the cross of Jesus. Here's what I mean. The foot washing is a living parable of Jesus Christ. This is a moral lesson. 
It is a moral example, but it's more than that. He's also doing it. This is a prophetic sign of Jesus, of what he's about to do. It's a living parable of his entire ministry. It points to something more specific than the literal washing and the literal cleanness. What does it point to? I want you to listen closely here. This is a dramatic illustration that he is trying to drive a point into the hearts of these disciples. And they didn't understand it now, but they would. And I want you to listen to this closely. That night, at that supper, when Jesus rose from the table, this signifies Jesus rising from His throne in eternity past. That night, when Jesus laid aside His outer garments... That signifies what happens next. He steps up from His throne and then He he makes Himself nothing. He lays aside His glory. And then that night after He cast aside His outer garments, what does Jesus do? He takes a towel and girds Himself in this towel. What does that signify? That when Jesus came to earth, He could have came to us as the highest of kings. But this shows us that He came to us in the form of a servant. This is a parable acting out His ministry. And after He takes the towel and girds Himself, what does He do? He washes away their filthy feet with the water. And this points to the Son of God coming into this world and washing away our sins with His blood. With His blood. This is the parable. And then what happens next? Jesus is reclothed in those same garments that He laid aside and He sits back down at the same table that He left from. And this is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His ascension back to glory with the Father, and Him sitting back on the same throne that He came from. This is a parable of Jesus' entire reason for why He is here. For why He is here. This is why He came to die for our sins. He descended from eternity to die for our sins. This is why He is here. Jesus says, you don't understand this now, but afterward you're going to understand this. You're going to see it. This is the mind-boggling humility of Jesus Christ. Mind-boggling humility in the towel, right? But this humility that Jesus shows us with the towel is about to be far exceeded with the Creator God dying for sinful creatures. This ought to remind us of Philippians chapter 2. Listen close. Almost verbatim. Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So I'm reminding every single one of us today that Christ has descended from eternity and died for our sins. The eternal sovereign God takes on a human body. And that should blow our minds in and of itself, right? And that would have been mind-boggling, right? But when He comes to us in a human body, He could have came to us as the most powerful King ever known to man, or the richest man that's ever walked this planet. But what did He do? He came as a slave, as a servant. He takes the form of a servant. 
And that would have been enough, right? If all Jesus did was descend to planet earth and wash our feet, that would have been mind-boggling humility. But He humbles Himself all the way to death. And yes, even the death of a bloody cross murdered by His rebellious creation. Willfully dying for the sins of His rebellious creatures. This is the condescension of Christ. Never, ever, ever has one so high stooped so low. The Son, the eternal Son of God, came and died for our sins. Came and died for our sins. And we say hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. There are people all across this room that the Holy Spirit drove that into your heart at some point in your life. And you're still not over it. You are still not over the Son of God dying for you. It is matchless humility. It's devastating love and grace from God. Why is He communicating this parable? What is Jesus doing here? Remember we talked about this. His entire aim is to produce humility in these disciples and these representatives that are going to represent Him after He's gone. And what He's doing here is He's laying the foundation. Okay? This parable is establishing the foundation of all humility before God. Listen close. The very first step that humility takes all across planet earth. We say anybody is humble. That's a humble man or a humble woman. If you want to speak biblically, the very first step that humility always takes is to receive the work of Jesus Christ. It is the very first step and the foundation of. Of all humility to follow. And this is what he's dealing with Peter about. This is what he's dealing with Peter about. When, when Peter says. When he leans in to wash the feet. And Peter recalls back. And he says Lord not my feet. Not my feet. Now that actually. On the surface that seems humble. Okay. Because what Peter is doing is saying. No Lord you are so high. You are so high Lord. Don't wash my feet. I am so unworthy. And on the surface, it seems humble, but it is false humility. Why? Because Peter is rejecting the grace of Jesus Christ. He is refusing to allow Christ to serve him. He is refusing the grace of Jesus. And in verse 6, when Peter rejects being washed, when he rejects being washed, this seems humble. But Jesus knows that if he rejects this lesser service, the towel, the foot washing, Jesus knows that He's going to reject the greater service, the cross. You ever met anybody like that? I'm so sinful. I'm so unworthy. Jesus is so high. He's so worthy. He can never save me. It's false humility to, re to reject the grace of Christ. It is the foundation of all humility to turn the corner into your life and recognize that you have sinned against God. That you have sinned against God. And then that you are completely unable to remove these sins from yourself. The most humble thing that you can do is to turn the corner and allow Jesus Christ to serve you. To serve you. It is the very beginning of all humility. It is the death blow to human pride. To, to, to repent of self-righteousness, works righteousness. And bow down and say, Lord Jesus, wash me clean. It is the foundation of all humility. The ultimate blow to human pride. And I want to say to every person in this room, this is true universally across planet earth. Every single sinner has sinned. 
You have a sin debt before God. Every single sinner is unable to clean themselves before God. And the hope, the only hope of every single sinner in all of God's creation is to receive, to humbly receive the work of Jesus Christ. Because you failed to serve Him, He has to come serve you. That's the only way it works. He gets all the glory for salvation. He has all, he, has, he is the only one with the power to clean us from sin. This is the only way that sinners can be clean. This is what the parable is pointing us to. He's working humility in. This is the very foundation of it. This is the glorious gospel of Jesus. Anybody have better news than this? That sinners can be clean before God. And I want you to see this. I want you to just lean in and hear. Jesus Christ address you personally in this room. Every single Christian. Look at what he says. Look at what he says here. <clears throat> Group of disciples about to turn their back on Christ. And what does he open his mouth and say about them? Look, what does he open his mouth and say? You are pathetic. Nope. He could have. He didn't. What did he say? He looks at them in their weakness, in their sinfulness, and He says, you are completely clean. You are completely clean. Do you see that? Has the Lord Jesus ever pierced you with these words that though you are sinful to the core, if you have put your trust in Christ, you are completely clean. When you come to Christ, you are washed and you are given a state of cleanness that lasts into eternity. One washing, one sacrifice perfected forever. Hebrews 10:14. Clean into eternity, one washing in the blood of Christ. 10 million years and then 10 million ages and you're no less clean because you have been washed in the blood of Christ. You are clean. Before God, 1 Corinthians 6.11, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Christian that grabs a hold of that, you're standing on firm, concrete, rock-solid ground that you have a state before God that's not tied to your daily fluctuations and holiness. You are clean, justified, in Christ, the moment you repent of your sins and put your trust in Him. Clean, never to be repeated. And Jesus talks about that here. Don't need to be washed again. And then He talks about another washing, a second type of washing, the feet only. And what He's referring to is that Jesus has to continually apply the work of Christ to us. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is our daily cleansing from daily sin. This is not getting re-justified. This is the process of sanctification of Jesus washing away sin's pollution in our life. So what is He doing here? Jesus is teaching us that the very beginning of all humility is to come to Jesus for cleansing. To come to Him for cleansing. Both the initial cleansing... If you're not a Christian, 
the very first act of humility that you will ever do is that you will declare yourself bankrupt and powerless before God to save yourself and you will flee to Christ to wash you from your sin. And to every Christian in this room, this is the foundation of your humility. That you daily, daily, over and over, that you flee to Jesus Christ to wash you from sin. Flee to Him to wash you from sin. Humble people flee to Jesus Christ. That's the point of the parable. Point of the parable. If all you get from this story is the second application that we're about to go to, this moral example, you miss the gospel in this passage. And that's a big deal. Okay? Beware of moralizing passages of Scripture. No one will ever be saved of imitating Jesus Christ. Of Jesus did this and you go be like Him. That is a death sentence apart from the things that we've just looked at. You need to be washed by Jesus before you ever attempt to follow the example of Jesus. This is the Gospel. Now, passage doesn't stop there, Right? doesn't and we can't stop there either this is the gospel but jesus also uses the same exact story to lay a moral demand on these disciples and we we can't run from this this is the surface level moral demand they immediately knew leaving that room what they were supposed to be doing they were supposed to serve one another they was this was an example that they were to follow they were supposed to do something look at verse 12 through 17 when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done, done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 15, the Lord plainly tells us this is an example to be followed. Example to be followed. And I want this to be clear to everybody here. Jesus did not say, do what I did. You see what I did? Do what I did. He says, do as I did. He says, do as I did. This is not, this is not a literal commandment for perpetual foot washing in the church of Jesus. This is an authoritative commandment for every disciple of Jesus Christ to serve the body of Christ like slaves. To get low like a servant and serve the people of God. That's the commandment that Jesus lays on these disciples. And I want you to notice how he does it because he does it in a powerful way. In verse 14, he reasons from the greater to the lesser. Okay? What do you mean by that? He says, if I did this, how much more should you be doing this? Remember that? What we just heard about Christ? You call me Lord and teacher? You're right. I am the eternal sovereign Lord. Descended from glory and I wash feet. How much more should you wash feet? Do you feel the weight of that? From greater to lesser, there is no person in this room... That is above serving the people of God like a slave. Not one of us. Why? Because our Lord did this. He descended from glory and served His own like a slave. And we've already touched on this. Why? I want you to keep thinking about this in this passage. Why is Jesus giving them this example? 
Why is he giving them a charge and the example to be followed? Look at verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus mentions the word greatness, and he does it for a reason. Jesus mentions greatness in verse 16 for a reason. Because thoughts of greatness, that's exactly what is plaguing these disciples. And he has to get it out of them before he departs. So he gives them this devastating illustration. Thoughts of greatness. I want you to think about the context of this passage. We know that this happens, everything that we've studied so far, in the middle of a meal. Okay, Jesus stands up and washes these feet. So here's the question I want you to cook on for a second. Why, why in the middle of a meal? Okay, what happened when when these disciples and Jesus walked in the front door? You ever thought about that question? Why didn't one of these disciples wash some feet when everybody walked in the front door before the meal? That's when it's supposed to happen. It's part of the greeting, part of hospitality. Why didn't somebody wash some feet when this meal started? Second question, why, didn't, why is there no account of somebody washing the Son of God's feet in this story? Think that would have been a good thing to do if it was a, a mark of hospitality in this culture? That you wash the feet of the God-man. That you wash His feet. That you bow down and wash His feet. No record of that in this story. Why? Verse 16 tells you why. They are so consumed with thoughts of greatness. Grabbing greatness for themselves. Not one of them even thinks about grabbing a towel and serving his brothers. They are consumed with thoughts about outdoing one another. Outdoing one another. Christian pride. Christian arrogance. Christian forms of of arrogance and pride and outdoing your brother or your sister in Christ. And they are so consumed with this. Greater than, greater than, greater than. They don't even think about washing feet. They don't even think about grabbing the towel. Consumed with thoughts of self. Not with thoughts of serving one another. Again, it is absolutely critical that the disciples of Jesus represent Him rightly. It is absolutely critical that they be formed into humble servants after Jesus departs. That still has not changed. It is absolutely critical that every disciple in this room learn this lesson well. You have to represent Him rightly. Only humble servants represent Him rightly in this world. What does a right representation of Jesus look like in our life? He just gave you a picture of it. He just gave you a picture of it. Hearts of love that humble themselves and relentlessly serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the right picture of Jesus to throw before the world. And this is one of the final things that that He deems necessary to teach these men before He leaves them forever. Before He leaves them forever. Just a little bit later in the same chapter of Scripture, Jesus is going to tell us that this is going to be the distinguishing mark of Christianity before the world. Listen to John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you know how shocking that statement is? Jesus Christ had every opportunity to finish that sentence however you would have thought He would have finished it. Here's some examples. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples. By your zeal for sound doctrine. That's the mark of authenticity before the world. Why didn't He say that? 
How about this one? By this, all will know that you are my disciples. By your zeal for evangelism and to get the gospel to the nations. Could have said that. Didn't. Why does he mark off one thing above all other things? And he pierces us with these words. That this is the mark of authenticity. Before the entire earth. That you really belong to Jesus Christ. That you love one another. That you love one another. How highly do you exalt this command? How highly do you see your responsibility to get low and to serve the people of God? Just as Jesus gave you an example to do. This is the mark. This is the mark that he singles out for us. Every opportunity to say something else. And we are disciples of Jesus and we want to grow in this. There is none among us. I pray there is none among us prideful enough to say, I have licked this clean. I have knocked this out of the park from the moment of my birth. Okay? None, none among us, hopefully, that would say that. We, we want to humble ourselves before God and we want to be like Christ. We want to grow. We want to love. We want to serve. We want to wash feet. We want to be like our Lord. We want the world to look into the church of Jesus and say, that's really about Christ. They are really followers of Christ. They're not consumed with themselves. They have been set free from human pride. That's what we want to go after at this church. We want to love one another. We want to serve one another. This is how we want to grow. We got something special that's about to happen at the end of our time. We've allotted some special uh, time. And Hunter Hansen is going to come up and Aaron Poole is going to come up. And these are these are the newly elected deacons at, at Grace Community Church, appointed deacons. And, and what we've been doing for the past few months is we've been praying together and taking counsel together of how the Lord would have us to go after these types of things corporately to serve the people of God, to be an accurate representation of Jesus Christ and his humility and his love and his service. And so some of the things that we've come come together, they're going to present to the church today. And this is something that we're going to vote on next week. And so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to keep going for just a minute. But that's what's coming out at you. They're about to give you some new information of some ministries that we're going after at Grace Community Church. Before we close, I want you to notice one more thing. All right. Verse 17. One more thing. Jesus doesn't only give us a command. He promises a blessing to fall on a humble servant of Jesus Christ. Do You see that? Blessed are you if you do these, if you do this, blessed are you. And that's what I want to press into at the very end. The word blessed means happy. Happy is the person that gets low and washes the feet of the people of God. Do you see how opposite exactly backwards Jesus's version of happiness is from the world's version of happiness? Do you see that the world says you are happy you are joyful in life when everybody serves you, when everybody does what you want, when everybody meets your needs, then you're happy, then you're blessed, then you're joyful. Jesus turns it exactly opposite. Acts 20 verse 35. He says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So here's something I want to. I want you to think about this, okay? There is a, a tendency in us to be self-oriented, that, 
that we were made by Christ to gaze at the glory of Christ and to serve other people. But sin malfunctions that and we turn inward to ourselves and we think about ourselves. That's sin. That's pride. And what Jesus is telling us in in that verse is that there's actually a blessing that's going to fall on the one that repents of selfishness and orients themselves toward the body of Christ. He's going to bless them with happiness and true joy. This is the pathway to, to true joy in the Christian life. And you think about this. There's even a tendency when we talk about washing feet. That the first thing that we're tempted to think about sometimes, and maybe this is someone in this room, first thing that comes into your mind is nobody's washing my feet. I had this need and this need and this need. Nobody did anything for me. That's all good and fine, but nobody came and washed my feet. Nobody served me. Do you see the selfishness of that? That is a pathway to destruction. That is the pathway to a joyless life. There is joy to be had in Jesus Christ. If you repent of that and orient yourself and ask different questions, really the exact opposite questions, not how can my feet be served or nobody's doing what I need them to do to me, but how can I pour out my life in service to the body of Christ? It is more blessed to give than receive more blessed to give than receive. Listen to the blessing that God promises to pour out on the one who is oriented towards the body of Christ and towards others. This is Isaiah 58. And I'll close with this, with this passage. Isaiah 58 verse 10 and 11. If you pour yourself out for the hungry. And satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness. And your gloom as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose water does not fail. This is this is God's promise to the one who orients themselves to be like him in this world. And this is what we want to go after all across this church. Humble servants of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would bear witness to the truthfulness of your word. And we ask, God, that you would flood our lives, Lord, with transforming power. God, I pray that you would dethrone pride in our life and in our hearts, God, that you would dislodge habitual patterns of sin and selfishness in us, Lord. Do your work. Only you know, God. We don't know the depths of our sin. Only you do, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we just pray, God, that you would make us like you, Lord. Do it for your own glory and for your own praise. In Jesus' name, amen.